Greetings, everyone. Uh, it's Chris Oakley here uh, for uh, episode number 17 of the Football Attic Podcast. Very good of you to join me. Uh, and uh, once again, it's time for another hour-long discussion on a football nostalgia topic uh, of our choice. And of course, I say hour because it's not me on my own. It is myself and my ever-present colleague and co-blogger from the Football Attic. It's Rich Johnson. Hello, Rich. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry, it's the Muppet Show. Sorry. <laughs> oh dear, I was trying to think of something to to sort of spice things up a bit then, and that happened. I apologise. And now it needn't happen again. No, we uh, can all move on. We can all move on. Excellent. How's things with you then, Rich? That's all right. Oh, I've done it again. Um, I've been painting today. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> the fumes are getting deep. Yeah, clearly. I must stop huffing the paint. Um, yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's nice. It was kind of sunny here, and then it wasn't, and then it was, and then it wasn't again, and now it's dark. Oh, such is the way of things, I suppose. Yeah, it's the apocalypse, or it could just be the evening. It might be, yes. And um, and here in New Zealand, we are entering autumn. I'll just leave you with that little mental image for you to paint that picture <laughs> in your mind, so you can, you can no, paint no, that picture no, 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 any way no. you like. <laughs> Um, anyway, we needn't ponder uh, that uh, any any further. Let's crack on with uh, today's subject. Now, a um, bit of a story to this, which is that um, a couple of weeks ago we recorded episode 16, which was all about balls and balls. <laughs> and um, just before that, um, as ever, we put out an appeal on Twitter and said, what should we talk about? And of course, one of the subjects we got was footballs. Um, but we got lots of great suggestions from all of you, which we're very grateful for. Uh, one of them uh, was so good, we thought we'll keep that up our sleeve and we'll save it for episode 17, which is, of course, this one. And uh, it was a suggestion we got from Brian Brown on Facebook. And he said, how about things you don't see at football anymore? Keepers with no gloves. Three people sat on the bench. Someone collecting tracksuit tops off players just before kickoff. And we thought... Oh, that sounds good. I think we can get get at least an hour out of that. So, um, so here we are. So, thanks, Brian, for that. And uh, Brian has come up with yet more suggestions for for his own his own topic. Uh, and we'll be reading out his comments and indeed those of all of you uh, that have uh, contacted us over the last couple of days or so during the podcast. You can be sure that as as ever, we're incredibly grateful for your feedback. It means we don't have to do anything. Um, so, um, Rich, we're going to start off. I mean, let's let's take Brian's. Um, suggestion there first of all um keepers with no gloves now i don't know about you but i sort of think sometimes in a, in an idle moment how nice it would be as a kind of leveling factor in modern day football just to kind of you know make things a bit more balanced if they actually went back to the days where where there were no gloves available for keepers if they actually made a ruling and said sorry you're not allowed to wear gloves is that something that you like me would welcome um the sadistic side of me would yes um <laughs> Well, I, I just think the amount of times that we had to play at school, and I think we touched on it in the Balls podcast about the fact that you yeah. get whacked on the legs. Or similarly, sometimes when in, when you played football at school and you made a save with your gloveless oh. Um, oh. hands, the amount of stinging that could go through it. But actually, yeah. I, I mean, I happened to be watching a match the other day, um, and I, I was struck by the sheer size of the keeper's gloves. Because, I mean, obviously they've always been <laughs> large to increase finger size and stoppage and all that. Um, yeah, but they just look like clown gloves, and I just thought, mm. well, instead, what they should do is they let them keep the gloves, but they should wear clown shoes as well. <laughs> it make those when when you get a player who gets clean through on goal, and he's only got the keeper to beat. Just seeing the ge- keeper plod- plodding out in his great big long yeah, clown boots, I mean, that's got to be good for the you game. You could also it? give him a squirty flare as well, so he could at least <laughs> try and put the defender off and and go. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to actually bring the player down. He just needs to distract him and put him off. Yeah. Bit of water assuming, in the eye. Assuming he ever got to the ground, because his car would have square wheels and the doors would fall off. Um, I've gone down a bit of a tangent there. Uh, well, yeah, um, yeah it's um, a bit silly. Gloves with no with no uh, gloves with no keepers. Keepers with no gloves. Um, well, there's I, a I mean, way that, To be honest, that's a bit before my time. I think. Well, actually, maybe not. I think mid eighties mid eighties is when I got into football. So I think mostly um, keepers had gloves by then, um, and they were kind of the the sort of poncy ones you get now. But I think there were the occasional ones where. I think the gloves they had at first were quite rudimentary ones, all sort of one colour things, just that were looking yeah. like a bit like a normal pair of mittens or something. Um, <laughs> so maybe go back to that, or maybe have them with like elastic around the back, like idiot mittens. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're just way ahead. I tell you, why aren't you leading the Premier League? <laughs> Actually, thinking about it, you know how they were, we I think we talked about this last week as well, um, about like spray on kits. I think I was listening to the um, kit uh. podcast we did. And uh, yeah. we we just touched on spray on kits. Well, they can have spray on gloves instead, so that at least well, it yeah. looks like they've got gloves on. So you can still have all the sponsorships on it, but actually it still stings. Yeah, there's there you go. I tell you what, I just you're, you're, you should just be part of some kind of FA think tank. I think I just make the game fun so much more interesting. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. All my ideas get <laughs> well, rejected for being ridiculous, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a bit of a drawback. I will uh, concede. Um, yeah, um, I. I remember um, I've mentioned this before. Years ago, um, I did this pod, uh, podcast, I did this blog site rather called "Some People Are on the Pitch," and there was a regular fr- uh, feature on a Friday called the Friday List of Little or No Consequence. It was basically a, a weekly trivia list um, of really trivial facts. And one week, I was going to do um, a, a list of like the last ten goalkeepers who didn't wear gloves in an FA Cup final. I thought that could be quite interesting in a perverse sort of way um but i found it actually very difficult to um to actually find out because when yes there's all the footage on youtube and you can look at all the cup finals and stuff but they didn't tend to ponder that long the cameras on the goalkeeper like if the ball went off they didn't very often used to put the camera on the goalkeeper they'd put the camera on the player who's just had a shot to see his look of disappointment or whatever you know so it was actually difficult to get a decent clear view of which whether whether a goalkeeper was wearing gloves or not and i i roughly worked out it must have been around about the turn of the 1980s when that started to disappear because i think the late 70s um even I've got a feeling that even in the 1979 Cup final, then someone might have not, one of the goalkeepers might not have been wearing gloves. So, so it must have been late 70s, early 80s when that all phased out. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, joking aside, as you say, it, it really did sting when you tried to save the ball without gloves on. I, I remember all too clearly myself because I used to play in goal a lot when I was a kid. Um, but when you see old footage from, say, the big match or something, or match of the day from the early 70s, it is surprising, um, or maybe not, uh, how often a player would, a goalkeeper would try and stop the ball, and it would just slip through their hands because a they've either got no grip, or b just because it stung too much, so they just it, the ball would dribble through their hands and over the line, and then it went. And you think, do we want that back in football? Uh, maybe oh, not. I, don't, I don't know actually, because it would be great, wouldn't it, to see like someone take a zinging shot and for the goalie <laughs> to sort of like stick his hand on it and then go, ooh, ha, like that, <laughs> as, the, as the ball rolls over the line. Oh dear, you, I think. Oh. I think Pat Bonner in '94 still had gloves on. It didn't make a blind bit of difference to him, did it? <laughs> oh yes, good, good memory, excellent, good knowledge there. Um, so, um, 
so yes, yeah, so we're not sure about that one, Brian, but um, but certainly thanks for, for bringing that back to, to mind. Someone collecting tracksuit tops off the player. That, that's beautifully remembered, that is. I, I, it's one of those things that you sort of see, but you don't see from, from the old footage, but that's that's a lovely thing. With I'm just wondering how... how sorry, go on. I was going to say, with almost certainly a fag hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, yeah. lads, use this, we need to get on with match. <laughs> well, I, I think it got... They used to get kids as well doing that as well, like collect, going around what, to all smoking? the players. No, not smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Collecting tracksuit tops, I mean. But I just wonder how many players actually wear tracksuit tops anymore. I don't really kind of... Well, they have uh, their presentation jackets nowadays, don't they? Their proper presentation suits. Anthem jackets. Yeah, uh, an- anthem jackets, yes. Uh, oh, yeah, so the presentation uh, jacket for John Terry is just a kit, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> not anymore. Um, not anymore. <laughs> Um, and three people sat on the bench. My my image, whenever somebody says, you know, a bench that you used to see in the old days, I just have this image of like basically a hole in the ground where yeah. like a sort of pit and maybe as I think somebody sort of said, basically just a wooden wooden plank that somebody just kind of put down there and, and you know, not like now we've got these Recaro seats and stuff. Oh, that's one of the things against modern football. I mean, that's what they should be focusing on, Recaro seats. Never mind your safe standing. Um, anyway... <laughs> I, I, I did on. like the old dugouts though because they were just insane. Mm. I mean, I mean, how you were supposed to watch the match from literally at a sort of ankle level? I've never quite understood because they were literally <laughs> yeah. holes in the ground with just the head sticking at the top. And I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure there's footage somewhere of someone um, sort of like leaping up and smashing their head on, on, yeah. the, uh, on the top of it. I, mean, I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, it's probably made of concrete as well. So <laughs> probably serious brain injuries taking place. Yeah, and it's like watching football through a letterbox, isn't it? It's just like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, um, I think on a previous podcast, I I might have said that. Um, oh, it was when we were talking about Subutio. That's right, and we were saying about the the perspex, the clear plastic perspex uh, benches that they made around about the mid eighties, and the fact that um, years before that, of course, uh, um, benches used to be in my um, descriptive sense, um, like a, an old bus shelter, like a wooden framed thing. Um, but then you then you also had the hole-in-the-ground version as well. Maybe someone should start a blog <laughs> about, you know, um, <laughs> dugouts of our time or something. There's a, there's a niche. There, actually. <clears throat> is it really? In fact, I'm sure there was a book on that. I'm sure someone had a book on <laughs> oh, yes. dugouts. I think you're right. Actually, now you mentioned look at that up. Look at that up. All right. <laughs> on one of them internets. Things, yes. Um, I... When I sat down on this, you know, bearing in mind this subject about things you don't normally, uh, things you don't uh, see in football anymore, um, I sort of thought, I'm mm, not sure I can come up with many ideas. But actually, I was surprised. Um, I surprised myself. I came up with quite a few in the end. So we'll, we'll cover some of those during the course of the podcast. The one, the, I think the first one that I remembered is basically passes back to the goalkeeper, the old back pass rule, because um, I remember in uh, the 1990 World Cup, I think I'm right with this. I might no, my memory. I might have got this slightly wrong, but um, the 1990 World Cup was the first one where I and my family owned a VCR. Okay, we had our own video cassette recorder, and of course, I'd, by, well, by that stage I'd started working, so I had a bit of disposable income, and so I went absolutely nuts because this was like within weeks of buying this video cassette recorder. I bought loads of blank tapes, and I recorded pretty much every single minute of the 1990 World Cup um, for posterity. I just had all these tapes lined up along my shelf and um, I, I printed out my own labels for the side so I could tell, oh yes, that's the uh, Italy versus Czechoslovakia match. Might watch that tomorrow and all this. <laughs> Very sad. Um, but I remember like a couple of years after that um, thinking, oh, I'll watch one of those tapes. And even though it was only a couple of years later, seeing 
because I think that was the last World Cup, I think I'm right in saying, where you were allowed to pass back to the keeper. Correct. And it, and it was only shortly after that that the rule changed. And it just, even then it seems strange. I think, my God, that's, that's, that's football how it used to be, passing back to the goalkeeper. And, and I think it was a, definitely a good thing that that was gotten rid of. Uh, because you, you see like footage of like, li- uh, live games, as it were, from years ago. And it really did slow the game down. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, the, one of the attackers would put a bit of pressure on a defender. And it would just be like, oh, passing it back to the keeper. And then the keeper would roll it out to the defender. And then the, the attacker would come up again and he'd pass it back to the goalkeeper. And it was just all of that. And it just wasted so much time. So it was, I'm surprised they didn't get rid of that earlier, actually. Yeah, I mean, like you say, there's a lot of these things which we've listed um, that we'll talk about, which you can have a sense of nostalgia for and kind of wish that they not necessarily had disappeared, but, you know, that you can still see it occasionally. But, yeah, passing mm. back to the goalie, I'm, I'm very glad that's gone. It's like it added absolutely nothing to the game. It only ever, like you say, slowed it down and just made it really negative. And it was, in fact, yeah, it was mainly due to the 1990 World Cup and the, the amount of back passing that was going on. Um, mm. that they actually changed the rules because I mean from what I remember I mean Argentina pretty much defended and played for penalties all of the way through that entire tournament um, and, <coughs> and there was a lot of back passing going on and I think the final was I mean the final of the 1990 was god awful anyway but a lot yeah. of that was because they just kept passing it back to the keeper and, and, and just milling around and never doing anything um, <laughs> the so, milling yeah. around rule as it's sometimes known <laughs> yes it's, it's, yeah. so it's like a 4-4-3 a milling around formation um, <laughs> But the, one one sort of um, consequence of that is I remember in the first season when uh, when they'd outlawed it, um, I think it was Nigel Spink, um, mm. someone he hadn't quite grasped because obviously you could <laughs> you could still pick the ball up if it was off an, off your guy's head, not if he'd like passed it back. So if he'd headed it back, that was fine. And I think what mm. happened was someone had taken a shot, and the the defender had gone to clear it. And, and I don't know, sliced it or something. I can't remember the details, but I, I'm sure it had come off a defender. But it was basically zooming towards the goal. So mm. Nigel Spink thinking, well, I can't actually save it because that will be a free kick. He actually leapt to the corner and headed it off the line. <laughs> and I think at the time, I think given the fact that the defender hadn't actually passed it back, it had just come off him, he would have been fine saving it. But I just remember yeah. that. I have to try and find that somewhere on YouTube. Um, actually, and one other thing, I have just found that Dugouts book on Amazon. There is a book uh, yes. called Dugouts by David Balk- Balcom, I think it is, um, mm. uh, with foreword by Alan Kirbishley. Uh, it's, okay. it's, I, I was going to buy it then, but then you just said that. And... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's apparently they're football's non-league clubs, though. Um, That's but, right. I mean, For nostalgia actually, purposes. I'm surprised I don't own that, because I do own a book about car parks. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure you should have admitted that, really. Uh, probably not, no. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Oh, well, thanks mad. for the detail. It's a great one. And Roundabouts from the Air. I've got that one as well. <laughs> Parking Mad. What a great title. Uh, yes, yeah. 1992, the, the back pass rule was abolished. That was, good. That was quite sort of strangely, unerringly correct there when I said a couple of years after 1990. There you go. So, um, yes, back pass rule. We're not mourning the, uh, the, the removal of that. Well, the appliance of that, let's say, the backpass rule. Um, another one that comes readily to mind, and this always makes me smile, and I wish we could definitely bring this back, is when you, when you watch old footage from like the, nine, the World Cups of the 1970s, you always, and it actually doesn't have to be World Cups, it could be European Cup finals, whatever, you always would hear air horns 
in the crowd, all this. I mean, I can't do. Yeah, well, there you go. But let's put it this way: if you, I can, I can point you directly to it because if you was to Google, or, or if you was to go onto YouTube rather and and look for Brazil versus Italy, 1982 World Cup, the first thing you hear isn't commentary or anything like that. It's just this sound of uh, like about you know forty thousand air horns being blasted, and that to me was as indicative of international football was anything uh, back in when I was a kid and I used to love hearing that and you just hardly ever hear it anymore and it just kind of died out in the early 80s or in the mid 80s maybe something like that and I miss that it's just one of those evocative sounds that you remember from from years ago I wish that would come back well the, f- the funny thing is when the confederations cup was on in South Africa in 2009 um, mm. obviously that was the first time people really heard Vuvuzelas and I uh, absolutely yeah. loved it at the time because I just thought yeah, oh, I didn't mind it again, really similarly I thought Oh well, this you know, sounds like um, old, you know, World Cups of old, and it, and it had a real nostalgic sense to it. That said, when it came around to the World Cup, I wish they'd shut the damn things up because it got so <laughs> annoying. I, don't, yeah. I didn't want to be one of these people that was going, oh, you know, band of Ruzela, but it really did start to get on my nerves. I think at the Confederations Cup, you could hear it, but it wasn't like all pervasive. Whereas by by the time the World Cup came around, like literally everybody in the stadium had their little plastic crap Vuvuzela, and it was just like <laughs> oh, constant horrendous noise. But yeah, I'd, I'd have to find some, some footage of the Confederations Cup matches because that seemed to have the nice balance of actual noise and nostalgia but not kind of just endless, you know, like sitting next to a beehive. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'm with you. I was kind of, in, in principle, I was all for the Vuvuzela but I think the trouble with it was it was too, it, was, it literally was just one note. Yeah, Whereas with exactly. the old air horns it was slightly slightly kind of wavered a bit and there was a bit of variation in it but it was just one solid note and it yeah I sort of started off liking it and then quickly got a bit fed up as I think most people did with it. Yeah, quite. Sticking with the uh, old World Cups actually, one thing that um, mm. I, I was reminded of and, and to be fair I never really saw this at the time but I like it when you see it on old footage and that is the fact that they used to have to phone the commentary in via some kind of satellite <laughs> oh, phone. So it sounds nah, like they're on go. the phone. <laughs> it's an old analog phone. It just sounds That's great. Just a when you listen, exactly. When you listen to old commentary like that, it just sounds brilliant because you know that he's on the end of a telephone line. A telephone line. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, that kind of just made uh, obviously pre-internet days and all of that and technology. That was that was about as much as they could manage. But it kind of it added somehow to the kind of. I don't know, exotic is the word I'm looking for, but if you knew that there was a World Cup going on in Spain or Argentina and then you heard that crackly kind of line, the the commentator, you knew that that's where he was. He wasn't in some studio kind of, you know, overdubbing it and, and, you know, pretending he was there. He actually was there, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. And um, and so, yeah, I used to love that as well. Um, It actually reminds me of a time... um, uh, going back a few years now, uh, I used to be a, a regular presenter or a regular contributor, at least, to the uh, Sound of Football podcast, which I'm very pleased to say is still going. Um, uh, I used to uh, be on that every week with Terry DeFellin and Graham Sibley, um, who say it's still on the still on the Sound of Football to this day. Um, and there was one one of our early uh, podcasts that we did. Um, and we ended, uh, when we've, they're currently on like episode 176 or something like that now. But back when it was in about the first 20 or so, we were still getting to grips with this whole notion of doing a podcast, and. I think around about that point, we thought we'd cracked it. And there was one night when we recorded the podcast and we had this chat, half an hour, all went off perfectly. Brilliant. Fantastic. And then um, Terry edited it together, as he always did, and then 
published it on the web and I heard it the next day I listened to it and, I, and my voice sounds like I'm sort of speaking from a, the back of a cupboard or something and, it, and a bit crackly and I thought what's that and I realised that what I'd probably done was put my microphone uh, into the headphone socket on my laptop <laughs> so which is uh, but it, it just I mean it, it was so disappointing because it was like half an hour wasted basically you could only just about hear me and what you could hear was really awful but what I always look back on that and smile about is that Terry emailed me the following day and he said how comes it sounds like you're phoning in your presentation from post-war East Germany? <laughs> and I just thought that summed it up perfectly. So uh, whenever anybody mentions the old crackly commentaries from, from way, way further afield, that's what that always reminds me of. But um, anyway, I digress. But yes, that's a, that's a top one. They should actually make commentators nowadays phone oh, in I mean, it's things like that that actually used to make uh, the whole concept of European matches that much more exciting because it, yeah. when I was a kid, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's the same for kids these days, but, but I, th- I just think that European matches now are so sort of passe that there's, it's, there's an, I, and again, probably because you have so much information about foreign leagues. When I was a kid, you had no idea what was going on in, in the Bundesliga or something like that. And yeah. you would get to see these, you know, strangely named teams, like sort of very, very rarely on on the telly. Um, mm. I remember when uh, Dundee United played, I think it was Gothenburg, in the mm. UEFA Cup final. Was it the Cup Winners Cup final? Can't remember which one. Um, yeah. In about nineteen eighty seven, eighty eight, somewhere around there, eighty nine. Yeah. Um And I just remember, you know, again, it was just uh, that the whole exoticness of, uh, of of foreign lands, and and also yeah. why I also why I also seem to remember, he said, saying also for the fourth time. Um, <laughs> Was it always seemed to be dark? Um, floodlit <laughs> matches of years ago were always really, really dark. You know, because obviously we've got much better lighting technology nowadays. But when you when a, you look at an old European match from the sort of early eighties, and it's it's almost like in in pitch black. Yes, <laughs> you literally can just about see the players on the pitch. I know, I know, and I tell you what, in 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 the process of doing research for this podcast, and again, I would like to iterate, I do sometimes do research for this podcast. Um, I was watching some some old clip on YouTube only yesterday, and uh, just trying to remind myself of the things that you used to see if you saw an old match you know, when when you know matches that were played in the early seventies or whatever. And there was this clip of Liverpool playing a European Cup or UEFA Cup match, 1972, I think it was. It was an evening kickoff, and they were playing against someone like, I don't know, Dynamo Dresden or something. But it was in, I think it was in Liverpool. It must have been at, at Anfield, and it was a um, floodlit match, and there was fog. And they still were playing. And you can hear David Coleman sort of saying, well, uh, you know, the fans on the far side probably can't see now what's going on. And you think... What, what was that all about? I mean, it's bad enough playing in fog during the daytime with full daylight, but at night when you've got like really weak floodlights, it's just like, I just don't... I, what possesses somebody to you know, even think that that's worth going ahead with? I don't know. I think they should have more of that. But actually, uh, linking you nicely onto another one that I just thought of, um, yes. in, in terms of weather, is you don't really see matches played in snow anymore, which is disappointing because they usually just well, call it off, or they've got undersoil heating, or they've covered it up in time. Boring. Yes. Bring back proper matches played in snow with an orange ball. And well, that, yes. The last, I mean, well, I think they, they, they still, you still get it occasionally, but rarely, rarely in the top flight these days. But I remember 1995, I think it was, and and Cov when we were still in the Premiership played Blackburn, and I think we beat them. It was either five nil or five one or something. 
and it was fantastic. And all Blackburn <laughs> did afterwards was moan about the fact that we'd had to play on a snowy pitch. It's like you're from mm. the north, it's always snowy up there. Get on with it. <laughs> God, yeah. 1995, as recently as I, I sort of feel like it's it's been even longer than that since I last saw a game played on a snowy pitch. Um, but, so, you know, we, yeah, we touched on that in the last podcast with the orange balls and everything. And, um, and yeah, it's just, uh, although it's kind of in a practical sense, wrong to be playing football on a snowy pitch. At the same time, it's kind of, you do get this kind of frisson of excitement when you see, when you see it, or you used to anyway, when, when it used to happen. Because let's say, you used to just scrape about, you know, three inches either side of the white lines and, and that's all you needed really. And, and um, yeah, the orange ball, I mean, what's not to like? I mean, yes, exactly. probably you get hypothermia if you were standing on the terraces watching it. But I mean, yeah, that's one of the sacrifices you probably exactly. have to make. It was great because it looked like you were watching it in negative as well. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, Marvelous. Uh, but yeah, now we have under soil heating and, and things like that. Which brings me on to my next one, actually. That's a, that's oh, a nice segue. Yeah. Um, I think well, you'd, you'd actually mentioned muddy pitches, Chris, in the list that you've got. But actually, one thing I remember very specifically, and I'm pretty sure it was about 1989, Coventry's pitch was basically like a beach because it, <laughs> it was so muddy yeah. that they'd covered it in sand. And yes. it was awful it was one of the most awful pictures i've ever seen and it literally i remember seeing it and it literally looked like a beach they were playing on because it was it was golden brown rather than green and it was just every time someone booted it it was like this spray of dust yeah well what what here's another against modern football thing um when when on those rare occasions when you see a pitch that has got a lot of mud on it and then they've put um sand on or whatever um where it's where they try and colour the sand green to make it fit in. You think, <laughs> don't bother, please don't bother. We we can tell it's not actual, you know, it's not grass. That's just green sand. So just don't even bother with it. I don't know. All well, these things do you is, remember. Is, uh, get a load of Sabutio Astro pitches and just cover the thing. <laughs> there you go. That'd be a good idea. I think somebody um, somebody mentioned um, the the whole thing about muddy pitches, but I'm trying to remember. Oh, Baron Baron pitches by April slash May. I think someone called the Chells. Uh, someone known as VSBNPO on um, uh, Twitter uh, actually said that, so thanks for that. And, and they also said goalkeepers hitting half volleys at one another at midfield during the coin toss, which is another beautiful yeah, um, yeah. observation. Yeah. Yes. Again, another one of those things you sort of see and then you don't see because it's sort of um, you sort of take that all for granted. You sort of those are in, that's in the days when you know they the sort of go to the match, but they'd still be. Well, back on the, back years ago, they used to, if it was edited highlights, you'd just get a few minutes, uh, a few moments where they just go through the teams and stuff, and then you just sort of see little vignettes of what's going on on the pitch before the before the kickoff. So I'm rambling on ridiculously here. <laughs> but, um, anyway, what else have we got on our list? We've got loads. Uh, got loads to get through. Let yeah. me see. Um, I've put on on the list half-time scoreboard holdings. Now this is really for your for your sort of way back people um back in the days um when uh, before sort of electronic scoreboards and even to some extent before kind of tannoy announcements really became the norm um you used to have this thing whereby if you were at a match and it got to half time and you were kind of curious to know what the scores were in some of the other games what would happen i'm sure many people remember this if you're old enough is that you'd buy a program before you go in and on one of the pages in your program it would have listed say 10 say 10 matches maybe more each one would have a, a letter of the alphabet next to it, and there would be a holding by the side of the pitch, and 
all you'd see at the start of the game is A, B, C, D, E, and that was all. But then at half time, somebody would come out with a load of numbers on tiles and they would slot them in, sort of saying one nil, two one, one one next to the A, B, C, D, and so on. And um, yeah, that's that's something they used to do. Frankly, that's uh, but it's it's quite quaint. Of course, you, you the, the, because of the, the the whole hunger these days for. Um, needing to have information at your fingertips and all of that. It wouldn't work. And, of course, everybody's got mobile phones anyway, so there's no need to bring it back. But it was quite quaint back in the day. I, I never remember that at all. That was definitely before my time. <laughs> I can hear a cat. You can, can't you? Yeah. Oh, she managed to get in here. We should bring, uh, a, we should bring a cat just, into the podcast. That's what we need. She was actually in here asleep when I set up, so I'm going to have to just let her out. I should be back in a sec, people. Well, I'll uh, carry on then, shall I? Wanna, unless you just want to hear a cat for the rest of the podcast. Hang on. Right, just, just add a, a, an air of domesticity. That's all. Listeners, this is the sound of Rich Johnson putting his cat out. I shall carry on. We've done, done muddy pitches. Also, Rich has added to the list long grass slash well, terrible pitches. I was thinking specifically of Mexico 86, because when we were... Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, yes. about the old World Cups. I was also thinking of the, the shadows you used to get on on World Cups because you don't. Again, and you don't really seem to get that these days. I'm not saying the sun's changed or anything. But <laughs> I suppose it was it more the. Done. I suppose it was more the vivid Technicolor um, pictures that you got from foreign lands in those days. But I just yeah. then I just then remembered um, that in the Mexico '86 World Cup, the the grass was horrendous. It was really long, and people complained yep. about it a lot of the time. To the point where I think if people were standing in it, you couldn't see their boots. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. And also, I think um, I seem to remember. Sorry if you can hear a kettle boiling in the background. By the way, it's uh, my yes, uh, more 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 sounds of the home. It's the, cat, it's the cats and kettle podcast. <laughs> um, uh, totally throw me that. Um, I, also, not just '86. I remember the first game of the 1994 World Cup, which was Germany against Bolivia, and that similarly was played on a pitch that had grass practically up to the knees um that, that and had a great pattern on it though didn't it because it had a big yes. circular pattern on it that's right not just yeah sort of circles emanating from the from the center circle <laughs> yes funny things to remember but um yeah I, I, in some ways i think that's not so bad they should you know because as you probably know if you go to a football match these days especially if it's like premier league or championship or whatever it happens to be the grass is cut literally to within a thou of an inch um and it's, and it's there's barely any grass on the pitch at all and it's that short you sort of think all right, well, yeah, we all want to see kind of good ball control and stuff like that, but, you know, we can allow for a bit more grass than that. And I think they should actually go slightly the other way and, and make it grow really long. And Because that's certainly a memory I have from my childhood when we used to go and play football over the park or whatever. Um, used to, you know, used to occasionally have to hack the ball out a bit, and I think that would kind of increase the skill set of your average football player. Well, you took it up to the knees or something. Yeah, <laughs> just to go out with scythes so you can just kind of cut the grass as they play. Actually, going, thinking about it, going back to muddy pitches and stuff, um, it, it, what I do like is occasionally when you'll see on YouTube is people where the pitch is so bad it actually stops the ball moving. And you get, there's, <laughs> there's quite a few you'd find on these like sort of Danny Baker's own goals and gaffes and things like that. Yeah. And there's a particular one where a guy comes in, takes the shot, kind of gets it past the keeper, rolls the ball towards the goal, <laughs> runs off celebrating, and then the ball just stops on the stops. line. Stops. <laughs> yes, mud is also good for that as well. I think, yeah. Um, so, um, so yes, uh, yeah. Long grass, long grass. I think we we need more of probably. Um, let's see. So we've also so we've done that. Um, now here's an odd one that I've kind of added to the list, and that is stadia being bulldozed or rebuilt. 
because there was a period in the late 70s and um, early to mid 80s when a lot of clubs were actually rebuilding their stadium this is before the whole kind of Taylor report thing kicked in um, but there's, there's, if you look for it there is footage on YouTube and stuff where from places like Tottenham and Chelsea and um, even going back to the early 70s places like Old Trafford where you just see like on the opposite side of the pitch there'd just be no stand or there'd be a building site and I just sort of think that's kind of and, and obviously in the early 90s after the sort of Taylor Report as well you'd have sort of places like Blackburn and, and whatever you'd, you'd see they'd just be just knocking down everything and, and rebuilding stuff to comply with standards and whatever um, and you know it's, it's sort of a bit you get a bit sort of wistful let's say when you sort of see that you sort of think oh it's a, it's a stadium kind of in decline even though it's going to be rebuilt again and made to look all nice and sort of sparkling clean and everything And but it's just sort of seeing uh, sort of three quarters of a stadium <laughs> and stuff like that it's just kind of odd well, have you seen um, any of those? Uh, well I was just thinking of the particular one that obviously when Arsenal rebuilt um, yeah that's it was, yeah, was yeah. It the clock end they rebuilt yeah. and, they, and they had the big mural um, yes. with the <laughs> Of all the faces on it, and then of course someone pointed out there was no black faces on it at all, and it was like, yeah. oh, quick, quick repaint. Better paint some in, yeah. Yeah, well done. You know. um, but, but yeah, and, that... and I remember when um, old. I mean, the funny thing I was thought with Old Trafford because um, Old Trafford, when I first knew it, was like three sides completed, and the last bit was terracing still, with like an mm. old sort of um, shed roof over the top of it. And then I think they finally finished it properly in about the late 80s, early 90s. I think it was either late 80s or 1990, I think. They finally joined it up. And then literally yeah. within a couple of years, they'd knocked down one of the main stands to build the, 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 the triple-decker one for Euro 96. Yeah. So it, it, Old Trafford has, has rarely sort of stayed in one, one sort of um, form. Continuous form. But it's, yeah. I mean, I, I in that... Um, on the football attic, the the article I wrote uh, about the uh, English football grounds video that covered oh, that yes. nicely because of the and as I pointed out on the on the article, the first ground they went to was uh, Newcastle, and it was yeah. I think the video was filmed in about 1992, somewhere right. around there, and it's like you look at Newcastle's ground then, and it was before. Well, they had footage of just before they'd started its major rebuilding because when Newcastle got back into the Premiership in the early to mid 90s. Um, they were on a program of, uh, I think it was when was it Sir John Hall, uh, when he yeah. put all his money into the club, and they basically set about rebuilding the place. And I remember looking at Newcastle, because I was always a stadium nerd, and I remember <laughs> looking at Newcastle whenever it was on telly and just like marvelling at these end stands that were like really huge and went really high up. And then, of course, you know, even that, they've been rebuilt over with the, with the main stand being like this absolutely gigantic stand, which kind of covers two sides of the ground. But to me, I I really love that. I hate it when they go and build new um, identical stadia outside town, a bit like the Rico, whatever that was. Don't remember what the Rico is. Um, <laughs> I, I I love the fact that you would get these grounds, which are like in in Newcastle, it's so lopsided, it's unbelievable. <laughs> because you've got this two sides of the ground, like you know, probably go up about three hundred feet in the air or something, <laughs> to the point where you need oxygen to be in the top row. <laughs> And then yeah. on the other side of the ground, you've got this tiny little stand, which obviously yeah. at the time was considered huge. And that that's what I find interesting as well, is, is when you look back on things like that, is is what was considered massive at the time. It's like with um, the Reebokker, like um, Bolton Wanderers, the Reebok Arena. It's like, is it called the Reebok Arena? Whatever it's called. Um, uh, and it's like, at the time, I think it was 28,000. And it was like, and Blackburn's, when they rebuilt theirs, was something like, 
thirty something thousand, I think, or mm. twenty eight thousand five hundred. And it's like at the time that was wow, that's a lot. That's a big stadium. And then it's like now, it's like that's nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Reebok Stadium, I think it was just. That's uh, the yeah. One, yeah. Yes, pretty much. Uh, yeah, so Stadia sort of in transition, I think, is um, is something that I always find fascinating. If you sort of see Stadia being developed or partly being knocked down and stuff, um, I might. Um, I just got this kind of yearning to maybe start that off as a bit of a sort of sub thread, either on our Facebook photos page or uh, or something like that. Just kind of grab some pictures of because there's one. Uh, you know, you, used to, you can get these big match DVDs, and um, I think I did a review of one for the for the Football Attic website uh, of the one on Manchester United, and I think one of the very early clips was must have been about nine. 1970-71 it's just quite alarming you see Old Trafford and half of it's just not even there they've just knocked it down uh, building a new stand and then Tottenham famously in the late 70s um, and I think Chelsea as well uh, had big redevelopments I think Chelsea kind of ran into problems with their finances doing theirs <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing um, but um, yes yeah, so there we go um, staying loosely on the subject of Stadia there's one thing whenever anybody you know you get a group of fans down at the pub talking about football from years ago Quite often, what you'll find is there's one thing that comes up in the conversation, you can almost guarantee it, and that is these um, light blue coloured cars for disabled drivers, which I believe are called invalid carriages. And you used to see them always, always at Stamford Bridge at Chelsea, because uh, that was back in the day when they used to have a big oval uh, around the pitch. And they, at one end, or maybe even both ends, I can't remember actually, um, used to have all these light blue cars. And everybody always seems to remember them. It was very kind of, again, very evocative image. And um, I know for a fact that Stamford Bridge didn't have the, um, the exclusivity on this because um, I think even at your ground, uh, Highfield Road there, Rich, I think used to have one or two there and various other clubs throughout the leagues. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think Chelsea was the main one. Really, and Wembley, I think, used to have cars and cars in really? general as well. Uh, yeah, I've, oh, I've yeah, cars generally. With basically, any, any ground that was an oval shape and it had all the yes. space behind it, you would usually yeah. get lots of, lots of um, perpen- not perpendicular, kind of diagonal advertising hoarding so that they pointed at the camera. And then loads of uh, cars. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, uh, Everton as well. I think they used to have a little sort of curve behind the behind the goals, which I love seeing. By the way, that Goodison Park, the old kind of curved ends behind the goals that must have disappeared around about sort of mid to late seventies, I think. Um, I just so, lo- I just love yeah. the fact though that some of the cars were just ordinary looking cars. It's just like, what did someone <laughs> just drive there and take them on the turn? And suddenly think, where the hell am I? And then there's <laughs> a balls pinging off his windscreen. <laughs> got his clenched fist waving out the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, in, in again in the research that I did for this, and because I wanted to find out more about this, I, I didn't know if they had a set name. You know, say invalid carriages seems to be the kind of uh, the general name, but there was a, certainly I think one or two companies that made those cars and the general um feeling that i've seen i've seen on kind of message boards and and forum websites across across the web is that people saying those cars were death traps i mean they were literally really awful to sort of you know get in and out of in an emergency and stuff like that and they were really badly sort of built in in many ways so um yes perhaps we shouldn't bring bring those back necessarily but um i, I know yeah. what they were called and i knew i knew i knew this it was called the invercar and i know that oh, the invercar that's right yeah, i saw that yes. i know that because al gore Gordon, old friend of the attic, he wrote an article for us called uh, Al did, Gordon's Five yes. Sabutio Items They Never Made, one of which was there the Invercar. Yes. Brilliant. Well remembered. Thanks, Al. Yes. Oh, God, forgive me for not remembering that. You're spot on. Yes. The Invercar. Marvellous. Yeah. So, yeah. And cars behind the pitch, as you say, Chelsea, Wembley, places like that. Marvellous. Um, again, staying on the subject of Stadia, because there is a bit of a you know, connection going on here. We're trying to, <laughs> desperately trying to sort of contrive. Um, 
advertising advertising hoardings, which you just mentioned. Now, of course, I mean, again, uh, the Subutio link, I did an article, I think, about um, accessories that they should be making nowadays for, for Subutio. And I think I sort of said, you know, maybe you could have kind of electronic scoreboards or, you know, uh, video screens and all that sort of thing. And I think I may have also suggested um, the equivalent for the digital advertising hoardings that you see nowadays, which, let's face it, are unnecessary distraction and who wants to see Malaysian blooming betting figures being flashed up during the course of a, a, a match you know it's just like it's just, yes I, you know unnecessary bring back the old wooden advertising hoardings especially the ones that used to have things on like bet with Joe Coral on the side and, and lemon sip for colds that was one of my favorites um, and we've actually heard from Damon Threadgold uh, who responded to our Twitter appeal and he said um, Raynham Steel uh, which is another classic, uh, usurped by Gazprom, he said. Um, and he also threw in another one, which he just simply said, staunchens. And if you, if, if you, know, your, if you know your Jimmy, Jimmy Hill. Hill references, <laughs> Jimmy Hill, 1973 FA Cup final, um, great double save, I think it was Jim Montgomery uh, in the Sunderland goal. And there's a on the on the re, when they show the replay, he sort of says, oh, I thought it hit the staunchen. There was one where, um, I'm trying to think what it was now, there was a, there was a clip as well, and, and it was uh, where Jimmy Hill also referred to Staunchens, where the ball had gone in and bounced off the back of... And, and again, actually, something ah. that you don't see much in, in grounds anymore is the old classic goals that used to get, uh, yes. in, especially in this country, which is the post and then the kind of the loop shape at the back for the yep. Staunchen, or Stanchion, as it's more commonly <laughs> known. But yeah. yeah, there was a clip where the ball went in, hit the back of the loop and bounced out, and the referee didn't give it, thinking it hit That's... the post. Well, that was Coventry um, Crystal Palace. That's what I thought. I thought. I thought it was Coventry, yeah. Yes, the the goal that never was and all that. Yes, I think Classic, we recreated that, is... that on fantasy football. That's what I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because even John Motson didn't quite sort of twig it. I think he was just kind of hedging his bets and sort of saying, well, there seems to be some controversy. I wonder if this is going to be a goal, because I, I don't actually know. Um, <laughs> so, yes, there's all that going on. So, yeah, that was a that was a classic stanchion. Stanchion, sorry. Um <laughs> So yeah, thanks to Damon for your for your contribution there. Um, and there was something else. Um, oh yeah. Um, uh, oh, it's gone. Sorry, I was going to say something then, and it's just el- eluded me. But anyway, well, let's let's stay with many of these sort of stadia-related references. Um, fans running onto the pitch after a goal scored. Here's another one. Um, I suppose you occasionally see, especially I'm guessing perhaps in the lower leagues, non-league and stuff like that, you might occasionally see it. But um, And certainly on the last game of the season, whether your team has stayed up or been relegated or just not really achieved anything, it's almost like a tradition that the last game of the season all the fans run on. But that's just that's when the game's finished. What you used to see, of course, in the 70s is kids, mostly kids, running on uh, when a goal was scored and going up to congratulate the player who scored, who I, I'm sure must have really liked that. <laughs> um, actually, staying, staying with things similar to that, um, Andrew Rockall, Stato74, uh, points hello, out... Andrew. Uh, f- hello, Andrew. Hello, uh, Andrew. Fans seeing the score, <laughs> piss on the terraces, <laughs> peanuts being sold, dugouts literally being a bench, rosettes and rattles. And actually, the piss on the terraces thing, uh, I think I've mentioned that before because... I think I, I think I have said before that I had the chance as a child to go to Anfield and stand on the cop and turned it down because I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of one of the things that my um, cousin used to tell me about was the Yellow River, which yes. was where people would just turn around, uh, roll up a newspaper, and piss into it, and then there'd be a nice little yellow river running down the terrace steps. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember when I was a lot younger. There was a fellow I worked with who was about five to ten years older than me and he was a regular Arsenal fan and um, 
yeah, he said something like, um, was it? He said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, you'd, you'd stand on the terrace, he just said, and then, you know, if you were you know, really desperate to have a pee, he said, you just do it in the pocket of the guy in front of you, which I know for a fact <laughs> is a common, common experience for many fans. That's not sort of like a rare thing. It's just like, you know, a lot of people would tell you that that's the sort of thing that used to go on. Lovely stuff. Yes, bring back, <laughs> bring back standing. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, um... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, thanks, Andrew, for that. Yes, yeah, so, and, and sorry, I was just going to jump in, actually, on, on the subject of, um, um, like, rosettes and stuff. Um, scarves you still see, obviously, especially the two-team scarves. Oh, <laughs> but but bobble hats you don't see anymore, really, not to any great extent, unless they're the kind of retro, bloody hipster versions. Sorry, I'm getting very bitter now about the whole thing. <laughs> you are so bitter. <laughs> um, bloody I think hipsters I might... <laughs> taking ideas and making them ironic, you bastards. I, I can't even stand that word, you know. I just don't even know why I said it. Um, the hipster, but, yeah. Oh. Um, it's a type of it's a type of pant as well. The hipster, well, the, yeah. Well, that tells you everything. It's pants. Um, uh. So, but but, um, but yeah, bobble hats. You used to see a lot of bobble hats in the seventies, and uh, yes, yeah, so they're not around anymore. But then it probably because they make you look like a gnome or something like that. So. <laughs> I and, say, some, sorry, some things can stay in the seventies. Seventies, that's right. Yes. And on the subject of rosettes, there from Andrew, um, one thing I forgot to mention again on a previous podcast about um, we were talking about FA Cup finals, and I think I very briefly passed on the uh, about the nineteen eighty Cup final, which had my team West Ham in it, beating Arsenal one nil. Never let it be forgotten. Um, and I just remember because I was like eight going on nine years old on that day and it wasn't that often that West Ham got to cup finals like now really so when they did get to a cup final everyone in the sort of east end of London would just go a bit sort of nutty and and just really kind of make a big deal about the whole thing and I, I can remember my sister making rosettes on the morning of the cup final with like claret blue and white ribbon and I'm like do, do people still do that probably not I can't really imagine it really people making their own rosettes but uh, yes so Rosettes, and of course, and, and Andrew was the, the the fellow that mentioned about a dugout's literally being a bench. So, uh, thank you for your contribution as ever, Andrew. I don't remember peanuts being sold though. Well, I think yeah, I think some some grounds you did, and of course, Everton famously um, they used to have people like women going around sort of dishing out um, toffees. Hence, why they're called the toffee men. Bit of bit of trivia that probably everybody knows about, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. <laughs> Uh, yes, um, so um, so there you go. So yeah, lots of these kind of have got a stadium involved somewhere along the line, as you can tell. Um, another one that I remember, of course, is um, people in the in the crowd throwing rolls of toilet paper onto the pitch, <laughs> which used to get everywhere on the pitch. And whenever there was a corner, you used to have to wait two and a half minutes while the player was kind of clearing all the all the toilet roll off of off the pitch. Uh, again, another one that's probably best left in the seventies. Nowadays, it just tends to be coins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for the more popular quite a few people have mentioned uh, Sean Flanagan and James Taylor, and someone else mentioned it as well. I'm just trying to find it. Uh, yeah, um, Bishop Bishop, Bishop Villered. Yes. Oh, Villered. Yeah, or Villered. Whatever. Black boots. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't get them anymore, do you? No. no and they should come there. back. I just. I'm uh, sorry. Oh, I can't. can't. Oh. Go on. No, I was just going to say, I can't get on with coloured boots. I mean, yeah, it's all very colourful, but it's just ridiculous. <laughs> black black is the way forward on, on that one. Sorry. That's uh, just how well, I feel. Well, the funny thing is that it, it kind of links in nicely with what I was going to say, which was um, where I actually wrote an article on this. And at, in, in the article that we had in Backpass magazine, which was all about things you don't see anymore, my contribution to that was long laces, which you yeah. just don't get anymore. Uh, and I, I'd started off illustrating that with the, the famous picture of Maradona handling the ball over Peter Shilton. 
Mm-hmm. And the, both of them are wearing Puma boots, Puma Kings, um, which are the yeah. best boots ever in the world, <laughs> in the whole world ever, ever. Um, and the weird thing is, is that the Puma logo is bisected by a big, thick black line. And of course, that's where in the olden days, you used to wrap your laces around the bottom of your boots. You did. And I, did. I did actually ask the question in that article, why? I never understood it. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I think it was kind of like a, an overhang from years gone by where you used to have to lace it round. And I also remember lacing it round the back of the ankle as well. I think, I don't know why. I really? still, to this day, do not understand why you had to do that. What, yeah. what possible advantage does wrapping your lace around the bottom of the boot give you? Other than giving you very, very muddy laces. Well, and I remember <laughs> that um, at school, the smell of mud in the changing room afterwards where you just kind of... Uh, Obviously, you'd whack the boots against the side of the, the sort right. of gym wall to get the mud off. But then you'd still have all this caked-on mud on your laces. <laughs> and I still, to this day, just do not get why you have to have like laces wrapped around the bottom of your boots. So I, I'm, I, kind, of, I'm yeah. kind of glad that's gone, because it's just pointless. Well, <laughs> I just remember, as a kid, I mean, my, my kind of time spent playing in actual teams, be it at school or whatever, was um, perilously short, sadly. But from what... You know, little experience I have. It, it always struck me that it was kind of like a fashion thing. Like it's what the cool kids did. They kind of, you know, they wrapped their tie, uh, wrapped their shoelaces under the boots and then tied them at the top. And and like yourself, I never quite understood it. It just seemed like a vanity thing. It was like that's that's the fashionable thing to do. But maybe I mean, surely you don't you didn't you don't need to do that to make sure that your boot stays more securely on your foot because that's why you tie up shoelaces for anyway. Uh, exactly. Do- it's just mad. It's just crazy. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've had um, very, oh, just while we're talking about sort of, um, I think there was something you mentioned there just about kind of uh, going back to the old days. Um, the first comment we had was from Samuel and Thomas, who are known as at We Are the Twins on Twitter. And um, when we had this appeal of memories from years gone by, and they said, "Brilliant crowd slash taking off shirt celebrations without a booking." Now you have to bear in mind that Samuel and Thomas are far younger than the rest of us so therefore well, their nostalgia reference is only kind of mid 90s okay but well, thanks fun- anyway Samuel the funny thing is Andrew Rockall did actually reply to that and say in the olden days people just didn't take their shirts off to shirts celebrate off. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's just a you know, pers- perspective and, and, and what context you know which which era you want to go back to but you know, we kind of get what you're getting at there Samuel and Thomas so yes thanks very much indeed um, uh, Ian Duff on Twitter also he said halfway line flags uh, yeah, so again, it's just one of those things. It's sort of it's in the background, and you you know it's there, but you sort of yeah. When it's gone, you kind of go oh oh yeah, I didn't realise it had gone, and and they, yeah, I'd like to see that come back because I used well, to have halfway line flags in Subutio, See exactly. I mean they well they naturally phased out. You can still have them. You can still yeah. have them if you want, but just nobody bothers because why do you need them? Well, as I was say, they're probably an <laughs> unnecessary kind of obstruction, and you can't have players getting injured and you know impaled on plastic you know bloody flag well, poles that, that would liven up a match wouldn't it yeah well it's some, certainly a lot of West Ham matches it would yes uh, that's for, for sure um, um, now you put on, on the list early on tackle from behind um, explain yourself well it kind of got outlawed didn't it <laughs> well, yeah, yes I'm, I'm aware of that um, so yeah you, that's a thing you don't see these days because it's well, not no, allowed but um, well but it, I, but was that a good thing I don't know I mean I suppose, well, yeah, you know, it's, it kind of wasn't... Um, it reached the point where it was becoming deathly. 
Yeah, he was. But then you could also argue on the flip side of that that it's there was such a kind of backlash about it that now it's almost like a non-contact sport to use the cliched old phrase. But it, it, now it's like you, you know, you only have to kind of scuff your toe on the back of somebody else's boots and it's like, oh, free kick. So it's sort of it's kind of now gone a bit the other way. So a, a happy medium, I'd be happy to to get. I don't think we're going to get one, but I think yeah, I'd like to see a happy no. medium. No, uh, exactly. Did. I mean. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, bringing it back would be a bad idea because it would yeah. be it would be abused. But like you say, the the state of the the state of the game, game go, these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, the people there, bunch of Nancy's just falling over the slightest <laughs> touch in it. Yeah, I'm not real men, really. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but I mean, it, well, it is it is frustrating. I think and it, uh, what actually more frustrates me is the fact that there's a generation of people growing up. Um, who have only ever really known football as a non-contact sport to a degree, and mm. and have have got used to this kind of sense of diving. And I remember reading somewhere someone was, uh, it was I think he was it was he was talking about like um, like under 11s football and that sort of you know kids football basically yeah. like proper professional organised stuff, and just the the sheer amount of of cheating that they do and, and kind of things like feigning injuries and stuff like that purely yep. because they've grown up watching it on the telly and it's just yep. that in itself is depressing because you just think the more that that happens that's the norm now for that generation yeah. that's normal it's not whereas like you get the older generation of moaning about it going oh in my day you know and when men yeah. were men and all that which it's just annoying because you just think great so the next generation what are they going to grow up with thinking is normal and, and perfectly acceptable to do I mean most people that watch football um and they see players diving and, and you know rolling around like they've been shot. I mean, I remember Klinsman doing that in the 1990 World Cup. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he took that to a fine art. <laughs> well, it became um, so, so much so that in 1994, he was almost kind of being a cliche of himself by kind of, you know, making it even more outrageous for theatrical purposes, just because he knew that that's what people expected, I think. Exactly. I mean, to be honest, you could solve that in one fell swoop just by organising the kind of, you know, the way of the deal with horses that fall at the Grand National. <laughs> Just shoot them on the pitch. Yeah, that's it. Well, sorry. sorry was that was that son? Did you want to get up or do you want to pretend you're injured again? Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Now yeah, who else wants to do it? Yeah. <laughs> no, leave him there. You have to leave him on the pitch <laughs> as a warning. Yeah. <laughs> to others. <laughs> uh, I'll just make a note of that one for the FA letter that I'm sending off in the morning. Right. The only thing uh, is, you'd have to rewrite the rules to see whether the corpse was interfering with play or not. <laughs> Was he in an offside position? <laughs> he was uh, in an a... offed side position because <laughs> he'd been uh, off. Uh, uh, mm. Marvellous. Um, mm, getting back, back, back to, to the, the list. Back to the list. <laughs> um, I've put um, goalkeepers wearing green tops because I just think that's a that's a really simple one that you should they should bring back because um, there's enough colour on the pitch these days with the modern designs of football kits and they don't need they don't need goalkeepers wearing it just complicates things that's why now you've got an F, uh, you've got a World Cup about to take place where most of the teams are wearing all in one colour kits because they you know because the goalkeepers are providing their own colour let alone the referees I mean I'm, you know but, um, but joking aside going back to say the 70s and 80s uh, or early 80s at least the one thing that used to really be ridiculously exciting considering what it was um, was the fact that because nearly all goalkeepers wore green when you saw a goalkeeper not wearing green it was just like um, an amazing thing uh, the, the big example I can think of is Paul Cooper Ipswich Town goalkeeper who very often would wear uh, a red top I don't know why um, but quite often he'd, he'd, he'd be seen wearing a red top and that just was just an amazing injection of colour into the game 
Um, Mervyn Day, my team, West Ham, back in the early 70s, quite, quite often would wear a blue top. And it was just sort of quite a radical thing. Um, and you only saw it occasionally, but it was quite sort of exciting to a, to a young kid watching football then. So I say bring back green tops because... As we said before, only Plymouth wear green, so there's not much of a clash issue there. And well, uh, then, then we know who the goalkeepers are. I, I agree. Although I would say that yellow is also an unacceptable colour. Yes, 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 absolutely. So Pat green Jennings, and, green and yellow. That's it. That's yeah. it. You're not allowed any of the colour. Yes, absolutely. Good, right? That's that sanctioned. That's, um, <laughs> actually, speak, sticking with goalies, there's one thing that I've also just thought of: is that it's goalies wearing caps. Don't really see well, that anymore. Yeah, you do occasionally. Very no, rarely. Because right. <laughs> I was going to add it to the list, and then I remembered uh, quite recently. Um, you, it's usually sort of spring and autumn when the sort of sun is at a particular you know height in the sky, and occasionally I know Bruce Grobler used to wear a cap. He was quite I, fond of that's a cap. the one I was going to mention. Yeah, but yeah. I, I actually, I mean, you don't see it that often these days. You do still see it occasionally, but it's very rare. I mean, yes, Bruce yeah. Grobler used to wear one almost all the time. Um, obviously not in winter, but um, but mm. one thing that I, I thinking about that. That does make you wonder if that's mainly down to the fact that most grounds these days have taller stands. Because obviously, in the old, yeah. in the olden days, um, you would have had, you know, like end terraces. Which, like in Coventry's case, the end terrace was a certain height, but it yeah. didn't. It wouldn't have blocked out the sun. Whereas a lot of grounds these days are much taller. Um, yep. And Very to be good fair, point. Off, often grounds that are actually built from the, you know, from scratch. Where they whether they take account into account of the position of the sun, I would assume they probably do. So yep. you also might find that a lot of grounds, you know, modern grounds, are actually built so that it minimises that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. Very good. We've it actually is. come up with a rational point on the Footwetic podcast, and you listener were here to hear it. Um, <laughs> get the shampoo. Yeah, I knew we'd get there in the end. Um, uh, well, we're nearly running out of time. We've got time to squeeze in a few more, and indeed a few more messages from your good selves. I just threw in the fact that you used to, uh, again, back in the sort of mid-70s at least, you used to get captions appearing on the TV in programmes like, uh, you know, the big match or match of the day, which were an analogue clock to tell you how much of the game had gone by, which I think is a charming little thing, that the fact that you didn't need numbers. To <laughs> you could just kind of see how far around a circle a particular line had gone. And, um, oh, they should bring that back. I mean, just, yeah, got to have that. Sky Sports, get onto it. Um, <laughs> and um, you've you've put down no playoffs, which I think is, you've definitely got to have in football, haven't you, Reed? You bloody playoffs. <laughs> Sorry. Well, there's a there's a there's a bitter man who's lost many a playoff final. There. Well, Actually, not I think even you that. Lot, you lot came back up through the playoffs last time. Yes, yes. I'm not. Yes, I mean, you whinging. No, it's, <laughs> it's just you know why having playoffs. It's just to squeeze a bit more money out of the game. Well, I, I well exactly, of course it is. Yeah, I and mean, I was actually going to rephrase that as teams finishing sixth, not getting promoted. Yeah, yes, <laughs> which is uh, how it used to be. That's quite a big bugbear of uh, teams that have finished in third and then still don't go up. But then I used to take great pleasure in that because I think Wolves, who <laughs> I despise for some reason, um, I think it's because all the people I've known that support them are kind of really egotistical. I think Wolves are a big team, and they're not. Wolves aren't a big team. Sorry, people. They're rubbish. Um, and always have been and always will be. You know? <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, you never had any famous players. I hate Wolves! Um, <laughs> Enough. But Wolves went through a period in the uh, in the nineties, um, and one of my mates at work was a big Wolves fan, and I used to love it because I would love it. Uh, they they what they do is spend most of the season doing a Newcastle, which was they'd go all the way through, look like they were going to win the league, and then start tailing off in the last sort of, ten matches, and end up in the playoffs, and then lose the playoffs. And I loved it. <laughs> it was so much fun. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry, Wolves fans, but you've got to admit no, that is quite no, funny. No, not, no, I'm not apologising. I hate you all. No, I don't really. <laughs> uh, the other uh, one I put down was teams outside of the big four or five winning the league, which, to be fair, you didn't actually get that often anyway, because most of the yeah. 80s was, um, you know, Liverpool or Everton and and the usual suspects. But mm. you, I mean, obviously, like with Leeds, I mean, Blackburn, I don't really count because they bought it. So, you know, <laughs> forget that. But like Leeds in nineteen ninety one, ninety two, and and I suppose the concept of other teams being able to to even have a dream. I mean, I remember even I think just after the Premiership started, when Sheffield Wednesday were at the top for a, a month or two, and obviously yeah. down to the way that the table is, you're always going to get anomalies like that. But there was always that sense. I mean, I think Norwich used to finish in like third and things yeah. like that. You know, you, you used to get. And that's the thing when you look at a lot of the the nineteen eighties. Often it would be the usual suspects winning, but a lot of the top ten were made up of really, you know, teams. I'm like, more often the top five would have teams in it that you would just never assume would be in there. And yeah. Almost nowadays would never get in that top five. We know who the top five are going to be nowadays. Mm. Or, well, we did until this season with Man United. <laughs> That's an exceptional case. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But no, I was just going to say, I mean, in terms of teams outside the big four or five winning the league, you could extend that to just being in with a chance of winning the league because I mean I remember you know early 80s Watford were a prime example exactly what you're saying you know they just sort of came up in successive years and and under Graham Taylor and suddenly next thing you know they're challenging (coughs) Liverpool for the title Watford (laughs) yeah it's just really odd and then yeah you'd have uh, several other teams of sort of you know teams that you wouldn't thought were capable would actually put in a decent run and and challenge for the for the league so uh, definitely that yes um, we well, should probably just um, pick up the last few of the uh, the comments that we've received. Um, one that I, just, I like. I just want to say, sorry, I was oh. going to say, my, my favourite of the lot is just Rich Nelson has just written Elton Wellsby. Wellsby. <laughs> Things you don't see anymore, and for good reason. Um, <laughs> thank you, Rich. Um, yes, um, we mentioned Sean Flanagan earlier on, and he mentioned about the black boots, but he also said sweepers, which of course are very much entrenched in the sort of tactical history of the game. Um, and also more pleasingly for me, managers with hats on. And he mentions Jack Charlton as an example. He certainly used to wear a hat. Um, but also the one for me is uh, Bob Stoker, of course, uh, Sunderland manager in 73, which we've also mentioned earlier on this podcast. He classically used to wear a, I think it might have been a trilby or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I think even like in Subutio, when they used to have the, 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 the team bench, I think you used to, at least one of the figures sitting on the sitting on the bench was uh, somebody wearing a hat. You, and, and a, a car kind of, coat. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Yes, indeed. So thanks, uh, Sean, for your, for your contribution. Oh, yes. Uh, James Taylor has said shirts tucked in and in brackets or socks rolled down an extra down. time. <laughs> uh, I remember Platini used to have his socks down all the time. He did. Um, players without tattoos, uh, oh. proper long sleeve shirts, and world class number tens. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just yeah. Who needs tattoos? I'm sorry, but when when the world of football is revolving around you know a certain player and his new tattoo, then you know it's time to give up. I think. Stick with us, friends. Nostalgia. That's where it's where it's at. Um, <laughs> Kunwa Chung uh, said, uh, "Innovative free kicks from dangerous positions." You, I don't know. You don't see that little sort of flick o- flicks over the wall and you know reverse passes and stuff like that. I don't think you see much of that anymore. So uh, it all gets outlawed, doesn't it? Hmm. Yes, it's usually. Um, sorry, you're being too creative. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, don't like it. Mm, shut it down. <laughs> Steve Coe Co said, and in brackets he afterwards he put too cynical. He just put sportsmanship. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, although right. although he says that, where was it? I was reading the other day. Um, oh, it was the Bundesliga, I think, and there was a player who uh, 
fell over in the box, but he wasn't touched by anyone. He just tripped, and the yeah. referee awarded the penalty, and he actually turned. That's it, right. He actually made him change his mind because he actually yes. went up to the ref and said, "No, he didn't touch me." And I remember Robbie Fowler doing that. Really? Yeah, I'm sure he did. He um, basically a similar thing happened, and he went up to the ref and went, "No, he it wasn't a foul," but the ref insisted. So he took the penalty and deliberately just rolled it to the keeper. <laughs> oh, there you go. I wouldn't have thought it possible with Robbie Fowler. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, I don't think it's. I think it was when he was back when he, on his second spell for Liverpool. Um, I'm sure it was. Uh, I don't think his uh, some of his colleagues were that chuffed about it. No, no, indeed. Um, the, the the Bundesliga thing you mentioned, by the way, that's um, that was used as a basis for a discussion on a recent Sound of Football podcast. So another mention of the Sound of Football, uh, I will be claiming my fee. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, yeah, um, a nice one here from the YOTAC Phoenix um, on Twitter. Uh, it says, uh, radios pressed to the ears as fans leave the ground. Uh, the old days of the transistor radios and listening into the scores on sports report and stuff like that. Very good image. Thank you very much for that. Oh, well, nowadays it's just mobile phones, isn't it? Oh, of course. Well, people know the score before they even left the stadium, so yes. Hardcore, that's the score. <laughs> that's James, the score. James, <laughs> hardcore, you know the score. Top one, nice one, get sorted. Uh, James <laughs> Wellham has says, George Benson being the answer to the favourite musician question in the player Q&As, uh, short yeah. shorts and marching bands at half-time. God, marching bands. Marching bands, but how many... I'm not, that must have been just for sort of finals and things, isn't it? I was going to say, he used to get that a lot at Wembley, yeah, so Yeah. I think there might have been one or two, uh, if you look back through old books and magazines from the early 70s, you get sort of um, references to, oh, you know, is the, uh, the marching band now becoming a thing of the past? Because clearly there were one or two clubs probably around the UK that had their own band to entertain the fans. But then, the, of course, time moving on as it does, they then just thought, oh, it's probably far easier if we just kind of hook up our tannoy system to the radio and then we can just play records or play, <laughs> play music. And it's just, you know, you don't have to pay for all the band members to turn up every Saturday. So a bit yeah, of a shame exactly. that... Well, like you say, to be honest, the, the the proliferation of a decent PA system has probably killed most of that because yeah. you just don't need it. Mind you, I remember when the Premier... Do you remember when the Premier League started and you, almost every single ground up and down the country had, like, fireworks going off and then... Cheerleaders. And that's where, actually... Yeah, I was just, that's where the cheerleaders came from. I, I remember for God. years they had the sky blue bells at Coventry and it was <laughs> a bunch of girls who... Um, I don't know how old exactly they were, but they looked borderline legal, shall we say. And, <laughs> And, it, and they're obviously in skimpy outfits, dancing around. And they used to, they used to come and round the ground and dance to the crowd. And it, you just felt really uncomfortable because more often than not, you'd be sitting there going, oh, I don't really want to look at this. You know? and there was, and the, but there'd be some blokes in the crowd going, yeah, yeah cool, look at that. Yeah. yeah, well, now then, now then, now then. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was that whole kind of comfortable, uh, comfortable, uncomfortable, rather, um, period in the late 70s when everybody in the football league was sort of soul searching and thinking this this whole NASL thing is kicking off, kicking off and they seem to be doing awfully well with things like cheerleaders and electronic scoreboards maybe that's what we need in the English game to liven things up and then as you say lots of clubs all over the UK suddenly started spawning all these cheerleader troops and you just think oh my god <laughs> really? I don't think so um, I, I always distinctly remember though, there was also a big quality gap between <laughs> what you'd get in America and what you'd get over here. Well, not not on, on cheerleaders, perhaps, but certainly um, that period that you said where Sky Sports um, were taking over the coverage of the of the football, because with their fireworks, they used to have like four fireworks and they used to sort of like <laughs> stick them in the ground on you know either side of the cheerleaders and they just go, Poof! and then that was it. And you think, 
Oh, right, okay. It's hardly like, you know, Sydney Harbour Bridge on New Year's Eve, is it really? Uh, so, uh, yes, um, something worth leaving behind in the past, I think. Um, I think we've only got one more, 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 one more comment, <coughs> and that's, uh, that's commentary-related, so I'm going to let you read that out. Fair enough. That's from Matthew Comiskey, uh, uh, Father Basil on Twitter. He says, going to see Cov as a kid, Oggy used to jump up, making pretend high saves most of the game. I remember that, actually. Uh, he definitely wasn't a sweeper-keeper, uh, but, but a footballer from an era where playing was far more than winning a title from the bench. Good point. Yeah, nice absolutely. One to end on, actually, I think. Very good one to end on, yes. Yes, indeed. And um, and end we must, sadly, because we're already over our one-hour um, stay here, and we don't have to try and take up too much of your time if we can help it. Uh, but there's plenty for you to be going on with, and of course, needless to say, uh, we hope, A, that we've... Um, uh, 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 exposed some of the long forgotten memories in the back of your uh, minds and uh, if you've got any other memories you'd like to send our way then do get in touch with us and keep the dialogue going you can find us on uh, football attic uh, you find us on facebook rather facebook.com forward slash the football attic twitter.com forward slash football attic uh, the football attic.com is our website uh, do get in touch with us and thank you very much indeed and i will remember for the first time ever that you can also hear our podcast on square one football radio so uh, do get along there you can hear our podcast and lots of other fantastic football podcasts as well but needless to say thanks so much for all your comments and all your feedback it really does make our podcast what it is which hopefully is enjoyable to listen to only you can tell listeners uh, rich anything else you'd like to chip in before we go Nope. Nope. We can't argue with that. So uh, in that case... Definitive. <laughs> yes. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Uh, join us again for another Footballatic podcast soon. Until then, for myself and Rich, it's goodbye. And it's goodbye from him. <laughs> We're not doing that again. Let's we go, are. shall we? I'm doing it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hit this stop button now. <clears throat> Bye. Bye. <laughs>